This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. I'm going to run over theses 5 and 6 really quick. Let me know if something doesn't make sense. Um, 5 is really, he's saying that the way, because we're focusing here not just on works, but on good works specifically. Um, so he says the works of humans are not mortal sins as though they were crimes. So he's saying the works that we're talking about here are not the ones that society would deem criminal or bad or worthy of being called out and damned, but it's particularly those works that are going to seem good to us. Uh, are there any good works in our life that we can find that are not under this critique? And this is saying no. We're not talking about the works that just seem bad to us. We're talking about all works and especially the good ones because it's those good ones that cause us to turn in on ourselves. And six is where that logic really gets turned up because he says, the works of God. We speak of those which he does through humans are thus not merits as though they were sinless. So we can't talk about our own works as being good and thus meriting something. And we also can't say there's this special sphere of God's working in us that somehow also misses this critique because it's always happening in us. And he uses the image here of, um, what is it? It's a sort of a jagged axe or a jagged hatchet. And that's who we are as sinners. We are like that jagged tool. Um, and no matter how good of a craftsman or a builder God is, he's always still working through that thing which is messed up. <laughs> so insofar as we are part of even God's working in and through us, our works are still sinful. Yeah. Now, does this deny with, in this uh, number uh, six? Six, yes. Does this deny the whole teaching of, like, basically, okay, God forgives our sins and therefore our corruption and all of our good works and everything. And on the last day, we kind of stand before God at Judgment Day, uh, forgiven of all the sin, and especially, most particularly, the sin that is in our good works. And we get to present to him these purified good works in which God, or in which we merit a reward from, from God. Is that, is this, would this kind of contradict to that sort of thing? It seems to. And I know it's a big Calvinist debate. Too, yeah, so. I, I don't know if I would say it contradicts it, but okay. I think Luther just comes at it a little bit differently in saying no, no work that we do in this life is not touched by sin. But the, the promise there is that um, we can do these works and whatever sin is in them, God will not impute them, impute it to us. So God does not reckon the sin in that work to you because you're in Christ. So we can't say anything that we do is good or not sinful in and of itself, but the good news is there is that God doesn't hold it against us. I've got the Westminster Confession up. I'm just curious how it's going to Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, bring it out. That'd be helpful. Yeah. Uh, at, the, uh, at the end of, uh, uh, let's see, it's chapter, I don't know, 33? No, it's 16. Chapter 16 on good works. 
uh, the end of point five, it says, since the goodness of our best works in fact proceeds from the Spirit, only speaking only of the regenerate, mm -hmm. and since insofar as they are done by us, our best works are defiled and mixed with our weakness and imperfection. They cannot, therefore, even stand the scrutiny of God's judgment. So, like, even in the confession, it's saying, uh, even regenerate believers' good works cannot even get close to standing God's judgment. But then it says, nevertheless, since the persons of God are accepted, I did, I did, here comes the hammer. This is exactly what you said. Nevertheless, since the persons of believers are accepted through Christ, their good works in this life are also accepted in Him. It is not as though they were perfect in God's sight, but that God, looking on them in His Son, is pleased to accept and reward what is sincerely done, even though accompanied by much weakness and imperfection. You have to remember that there was a time in the Reformation when the Lutherans and the Reform met in Marburg, That's and they, right. they tried to make a common confession, and the one thing they couldn't agree on was the Lord's Supper. But everything else they yeah, said, we, can, they agreed on we can find formulations where we can all agree on it. That's right. That kind of reads like Luther. It's basically saying, our good works can't do anything, but just as far as the Son makes us pleasing. Yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah. Well, Paul says the good works were created in Christ beforehand that we might walk in them. So mm -hmm. even the things that we do are not ours. That's right. Yeah. They're, and that's where I think so many Christians get tripped up as they're trying to create these good works instead of just abiding in Christ finding identity and who they are in Christ and a good, as Luther would say, a good tree bears good fruit just by virtue of who it is. Yeah. And to use this sort of language of the antinomian disputations, though, is that we are only a good tree insofar as we are in Christ. But insofar as we are in ourselves, we are still that bad tree. Um, so our, our works will never not be mixed. Um, because, I, you know, that's a great, you know, the, the verse from Ephesians 2 is good because God has created these works for us. But as soon as I put in I, me, right. we, us, like that's where, yeah. that's where the sin comes in. Right. So it's mm. good. So kind of what I was in the, in the Westminster uh, Confession, chapter 33, it says, all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. And that's kind of what I was insinuating a minute ago. Is this, is, this seems to say that basically you are really going to give an account of all your thoughts and words and deeds, and, it's, and, and it really doesn't seem to, I mean, especially with the cross-references that they're using, it doesn't seem to say, Christ is my account. You know, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, that's my account. This seems to be like <laughs> everything's going to be out there and you're going to have to address it in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. But so that's why this is kind of scary to me. Oh, uh, it's a good confession that hangs together. Chapter 15 comes before chapter 30. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah I guess you. Oh, sorry. Chapter 16. Let's see. It might have been. It's 16. Sorry. Theses 7 and 8, we'll kind of, we're kind of just going to skip over a little bit just so we don't run out of time, but I'll, I'll, just a brief comment about them. Um, the, the key in Theses 7 and 8 is just the fear of God. Um, your works are not a mortal sin that will kill you when you fear that they are. 
when you place zero trust in your works, that's when they are no longer the works that are deadly because you're trusting only in God's goodness for you. Um, in, other, in other words, when you fear that your works are the very things that are going to kill you, that's when you are trusting in God for all good things and you're not making an idol out of your own works. Um, and that, that sort of fear is just the fear of punishment, that the fear that everything I do will merit um, the wrath of God, as it were. I mean, not as it were, just as it is. <laughs> um, and theses, thesis 8 is just sort of the, the flip side. Thesis 7 is about how we lack fear, and if we lack fear, our works are mortal sins. And thesis 8 is about when we lack fear, we have that self-confidence and pride in ourselves. Sean, you looked like you uh, you were churning through something there. Yeah. Sean's always churning. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to look in the cam. Okay. The fear of God. And all this. Well, yeah. Here, here's <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Um, you know, Ferdy, I think is is good on this. He says, "What is the fear of God? Um, the fear of God is that very thing which lets God be God." As Ferdy says, um, it's it's not some sort of um, it's not something unrelated to God's filial love for us. Um, because it's it's that very love in which we say God is the one from whom we can expect all good things. Um, does that does that help at all? I don't. You know, Luther structures his whole small catechism in the Ten Commandments based on this idea of, you know, how do we trust in God above all things? It's that we fear, love, and trust God. And then the rest of the commandments flow out of that. It's all based on this sense of fear um, that we are not going to let God be God, but that we will turn in and let ourselves be God's for us. Um, so I don't think it's this, you know, he'll make this distinction later. It's, it's not um, the ultimate despair that we see in Judas, that, oh my gosh, I have done this thing and God um, is just going to kill me eternally. But it's the fear that drives you to the cross um, in which God has revealed himself. So it's, ne it's never a fear that's disconnected from trust that God is for you. Thesis, you want to say something? Okay. Um, thesis 9 and 10 we'll skip over real fast. Um, throughout this whole thing, Luther is going to be undercutting the distinction between mortal and venial sins. Because, um, you know, he'll say it's precisely when you fear that this is a mortal sin that it becomes venial. And, and things like that. He's just saying this distinction doesn't work. But in Thesis 9 and 10, he's having to deal with a more specific distinction that the scholastics made. The scholastics would say, an unbeliever's work neither merits forgiveness, nor does it kill them. It's just a dead work. It sort of exists in this neutral space. Um, and Luther thought that didn't make any sense at all. He says if something is dead, it's worse than deadly. Um, and, uh, you know, Ferdy brings up the idea of the benevolent pagan 
Um, it's sort of how do we judge the, the good works of those people who are not believers? And you'll see this a lot in church. They'll say, well, how can God, you know, damn to hell for eternity someone like Gandhi? You know, all he did was run around and help the poor and all of these things. Um, but the point I think Luther is getting at here is it just doesn't help someone to loosen the demand of the law on them such that their works can exist in some sort of neutral space that is beyond um, judgment. You're not being gracious to them by saying it because we have to call a thing what it is. And the works that flow out of unbelief are all dead, deadly, killing. They're all going to lead you um, straight to the pit of hell, as it were. Um, and that's why, I think that's why Luther brings this up here is it's not so much that this distinction is really important, but it, that it is a matter of calling a thing what it is. And as theologians of the cross, we have to be able to do that for ourselves and not leave our works to some sort of neutral space, nor can we leave the works of others to neutral space. We have to be willing to say this work is sin. Name it and claim it. I've, I've always felt like Romans 6.23 was really helpful in that, even just playing out the concepts of the gift of God, the wages of sin, and the way I explain it is, because you do get that question on churches, well, as long as we're operating on gift, everything is gift. But if you're going to operate under wages, some people earn more or less. So there are good non-Christians who have damned themselves less, and then there are people who have damned themselves more, Westminster says. It is more sinful and displeasing to God not to do such works than to do them, but none of the works, none of the works, mm. no works do any good. Yeah. So one makes you more dead, one makes you less dead. <laughs> kind of. I mean, as long as we're operating under the concept of wages or salary, I, I, C.S. Lewis's picture of this hell where it's worse for others than, you know, whatever, and the great divorce yeah. kind of makes sense to me. Mm. It's all bad. But there are less bad good works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the thing. Probably a little bit It's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not a comforting thought, but it makes sense. If the economy of hell is works, if the economy of hell is a wage, then some people earn more death than others somehow. I don't know how it works. Yeah. I'm not happy about it, but it seems to make sense. And I guess the, the problem with all these economic terms there is that the loan that hell has over us is an infinite one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it can't be, you know, even if, there, even if we say there could be some sort of leveling there, there's no way that you can buy yourself out of it. Um, so the first level of hell is still hell. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm not. I disagree. <laughs> it's still the wrath of God. But I, really I think it's interesting sucks. to think about the economic terms as far as heaven's economy doesn't work that way. Mm. But a hell's economy does. Even just the nature of the economy. I mean, it's just not good news at all. Yeah. No matter, like, just being in the rat race, always feeling like you have to earn. I think it, I think it preaches. It, it's germane, I think, to pastoral care in that people do have a lot of questions about, like, their neighbor mm -hmm. who is such a nice guy. Or, you know, how come people in the church get divorced and yet my neighbor's been married for 30 years and they love each other and da 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 da? And I think it's a conflation of this uh, passive and active righteousness again. And people can wrap their mind around the, the idea that, yes, the, 
if you might go as far as to say, it isn't that their good works are worthless, what they're doing, it's that they have, they're worthless in terms of justification, their vertical standing with God. So the fact they have a good marriage is a good thing. Like, that's a good thing. We can, we can recognize that as a good thing. We can even recognize that in light of Imago Day and help people to understand those things. But I think when we, we have to help people to understand the difference between the horizontal and the vertical. For me, it just makes perfect sense. Like, that, that, that's where it's at. And I don't, I don't think it's that complicated. Yeah. Is it true? I've heard this apocryphy said. Is it true that uh, Luther said? I don't see what the deal. Why does everybody get that? <laughs> uh, is it true that Luther said God doesn't need my good works, but my neighbor does? Did he ever say that? Yeah. That's that's the that's a sort of totally foundational statement. Is, is that all right? Good because I've parroted that around a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I checked the source. <laughs> God, it makes sense of what you're saying. Jesus yeah. is coming. Yeah, and, and we'll, that, we'll talk about that this afternoon. Like, that's the sort of structure of freedom of a Christian. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we take it at five? Yeah, I was just about to say, I was gonna, I was gonna look at, I was gonna, I was gonna say, Thesis 11 and 12 is just saying, you have to fear the, the, the condemnation of God in everything you do. If you don't have that fear, you will be arrogant in your self-confidence in yourself, um, and you will not, that, that without that fear, you will not be able to have true hope that something else is coming to save you because you won't think you will need it. Yeah, the law has to do that crushing work of taking away your arrogance and your self-confidence and all of your trust in yourself because without that, without that just crushing condemnation of everything that happens in your body, everything, every action you do, um, you will not be open to hearing the gospel because Anytime you trust in yourself, you're creating idols. You're not letting God be God. And that's always that connection with fear. So that, that fear has to be there for God to be God. I, I feel like a, a distinction should be made that, it need, that your good works need to come out of that fear of condemnation, mm. not like in light of it. You know, because it's like, again, doing good works in the fear that God condemns me or something like this. Like, because it almost comes to be like, I feel like when you, just this, the subtle nuance of saying it a little bit of a different way helps communicate to people that, no, you're doing these good works, you know, knowing that none of them are worthy before God, but like, not because you're scared of God's condemnation. Right. Yeah. You, you, you kind of get what I'm saying. It's like, I'm doing good works because I'm scared of being condemned by God. It's like, well, that's still a bad word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in other words, am I doing this because I fear that I'm not righteous and I'm going to be judged, or yeah. do I do it because I know that I'm righteous and that these works don't contribute to that yeah, at all? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And under that rubric, man, how, what, how much of what I do is actually ever good? <laughs> <laughs> your, your good works are good in so far God, as God chooses to value them, remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, 
please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.